Gracious God, as we reflect on these practices and disciplines that help bring us into your presence, open our hearts and our minds that we might receive what you've prepared for us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Today we are continuing our Lenten sermon series on spiritual practices for a deeper journey. And the beautiful thing about the spiritual practices that we're discussing this season is that they have been shown over the long history of the church to bring us into space where we might know God more and be transformed by God into the people that he has created us to be. These are not eight strategies for a better life or five keys to self-actualization. These are practices that have been lived out by the saints over the two millennia that the church has existed. Those of us who enter these practices graft ourselves into the communion of saints spanning the centuries. In the current age, spiritual fads are all the rage. But in these disciplines, we have a connection to the ancient church and its discerned path toward God over many, many years. But they are disciplines, which means we often struggle to incorporate them into our lives. If they were easy to live into, they wouldn't be disciplines. They would be entertainment or fun experiences. And yet, as with so many things of ultimate value, once we've committed to a spiritual discipline, we're able to see the depth and the richness and the discernment that permeates our lives. Today, we're looking specifically at silence and solitude. The biblical witness and many spiritual saints over the years have had a lot to say about these disciplines. And yet at no other time in history has it been harder to live into silence and solitude. Silence and solitude are not the same thing, but they are inexplicably tied to one another. And so we're gonna be looking at both of them together. Silence and solitude are disciplines of abstinence. Engaging these disciplines help followers of Jesus become more Christ-like in our daily lives. Silence and solitude make space, space in our souls and space in our lives for God to do a deep work inside us and through our relationships with others. But before I dive into these disciplines, I want to address that solitude in and of itself is not a discipline. The introverts among us love to hear about solitude as a discipline because that sounds like heaven to them. However, the solitude that we're talking about is not a way to avoid others and or to be entertained or stimulated by our interior thoughts. It is solitude for the sake of deepening connections and community. And it is solitude is giving our focus over to God or better yet, clearing our focus completely so that God can fill us. So for those of us who are head-centered people, solitude is about quieting and emptying our minds. This is what makes it a discipline and a gift to God. Silence and solitude were a big part of the rhythm of Jesus' life. Jesus began his ministry by withdrawing for 40 days into the wilderness to fast and to pray in silence and solitude. And this time alone didn't weaken Jesus, it strengthened him. 
This time of silence and solitude empowered Jesus to resist Satan's temptations. And it focused and prepared Jesus for his public ministry. Throughout Jesus' ministry of preaching and teaching and healing and feeding, he would regularly withdraw from the crowds and go off to a quiet place alone. And our gospel passage for today speaks to Jesus' desire that his disciples would do the same. And even as the events of his passion were about to unfold, Jesus went into the garden apart from his disciples and prayed to God for guidance. And in that time of prayer, he was comforted and he was able to align his will with God's such that he could approach his trial and his beating and his death with the assurance of God's love and with clarity about his call. So if we accept that Jesus prioritized silence and solitude and he calls us to do the same, why do we struggle so hard to incorporate this discipline into our lives? We have in our current culture been trained to avoid silence. How many of us have some soundtrack running in the background of our lives practically all the time? We have the TV on at home, we have the radio on in our cars, we listen to podcasts when we're out exercising. And this is not just true of us as individuals, this is true for society at large. I mean, we take walks in nature and we are greeted by the roar of leaf blowers. In waiting rooms, we are assaulted by TVs set to non-controversial channels like HGTV. <laughs> and have you noticed how that commercials air at a louder volume than the shows in which they're advertising? There is a connection between the amount of noise in our lives and our inability to hear God. Sadly, this has found its way into our worship services as well. We choreograph our prayers and our hymns and our music so that you find yourself in as little silence as possible. And why do we do this? Because our goal is for you to feel comfortable and we've all become less and less comfortable with silence. At a prior church where I was on staff, we would take our youth confirmation class to experience different kinds of worships during their formation year. And one of the places that we took them was the Potter's House. The Potter's House is an amazing place. It is a mega church in South Dallas, pastored by T.D. Jakes. The congregation is non-denominational, charismatic, is primarily black, and at least pre-COVID, they drew about 17,000 folks for worship every Sunday. And at that time, they had two worship services on Sunday. They had an 8 a.m. and an 11 a.m. And we would always take the kids to the 8 a.m. because we knew that it had to be out in time for the 11 a.m. service to start. But if you went to the 11 a.m. service, there was no telling what time that afternoon you might be getting out of church. <laughs> worship begins with the choir and the praise band leading the congregation in song. People are on their feet and they're clapping along. And then different associate ministers are introduced and they give brief updates on some of the ministries. Some members of the congregation come up and they give testimonials about God's action in their lives. There's more singing, a collection is taken. Folks are invited to come down for intercessory prayer right there in front of the stage. And then Bishop T.D. Jakes comes on and preaches a heck of a sermon for 45 minutes. 
it is an amazing experience. And when the service is over, you look down at your watch and two and a half hours have flown by as if it was 30 minutes. It is that engaging. And as we drive home with the kids, we always ask them to compare it to our Episcopal worship. What did you notice that was different and what did you think about that? And they love the energy and the music and how welcoming and friendly the congregation is. They love T.D. Jake's preaching. They know, though, that they don't have Holy Communion or kneelers or vestments. And the last time we went, the kids said, what we notice is that there is no silence. That really struck me. Two and a half hours of worship and not a moment of silence. I think that part of our struggle with silence and solitude is that it feels inefficient. If we set aside 15 or 20 minutes each day to sit with God, that's at the expense of getting other things done, things that are more fun or things that we could cross off of our to-do list. And if we rose from our quiet time with God, having had a mountaintop experience or having directly and clearly heard the voice of God, we might be incentivized to continue in our practice. But as one who has struggled to maintain a discipline of regularly resting with God in silence, I can tell you that is not usually the case. Most of us will not in the moment feel the presence of God. It is the practice of regularly being with God over time that shapes us. It is akin to looking back over the path of a long journey and seeing the places where your decisions and your reactions were influenced by your groundedness in God. So go into your discipline of silence with the perspective that this is a gift that you are giving to God. No strings or expectations attached. Try and find a time of the day that works for you, that sets you up for success. Perhaps for you, it will be first thing in the morning before the others in the household wake. Perhaps it will mean closing your door at midday. Perhaps it will be after the children have been put down for the night or when you are in bed just before going to sleep. While there are many ways that one can approach prayer with God, in silence, our desire is to listen for God, to invite God to work within us so that we might be transformed. The silence that we seek is both external and internal. So not only do we find a space that is quiet, but we also deal with the noise that rises from within. As you sit with God in silence, you might focus on a single word to clear your thoughts. You might conjure an image, say of sitting next to a gently flowing river. As you find your mind wandering off to your grocery list or to the conversation you had yesterday with one of your colleagues, you just gently bring your mind back to emptiness or to your focus word. Or envision yourself placing those strained thoughts in the river and watching them be carried downstream. It may feel like you spend your whole 20 minutes with God pulling your mind back to silent presence. That is okay. It's a mysterious thing that God honors our offering of time with him. Over time, you will fill within and you will see in your outward interactions and decisions that you have moved to a more Christ-centered way of being in the world. 
In silence and solitude, you learn to stop doing, stop producing, stop pleasing people, stop entertaining yourself, stop obsessing. To simply be your naked self before God and to be found by him. And so this brings us to another reason that it's hard for us to enter this discipline. In the noise and hurry and activity of our lives, we can avoid self-reflection and self-questioning. If we're honest, we will admit that sometimes we are afraid of silence and solitude. Sometimes the loudness and activity of our lives masks a fear of resting in God's presence and the presence of our own thoughts. Silence and solitude can bring to the surface inner conflicts and distress and longings. And we might have to ask, who am I apart from what I do and who I'm with? Henry Nouwen says, in solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. No friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract, just me. Naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. It is this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude, a nothingness so dreadful that everything within me wants to run to my friends, to my work, to my distractions, so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe I am worth something. When I teach the seven deadly sins, most folks can self-identify that they struggle with greed or pride or envy. But I almost never have folks that think they struggle with sloth. <laughs> How can we, who are so busy all the time, be slothful? But our unremitting activity can be a way for us to check out of life. Instead of using booze or sex or food or TV, we anesthetize with noise and activity. If we're always running our kids to practice or working long hours or streaming episode after episode of the latest show, we don't have to sit quietly with God and lay bare what rises in our thoughts and in our hearts. If we keep really busy, we don't have to deal with our pain or our emptiness or our sadness. The space and quiet that silence and solitude provide is necessary if we're going to be able to stand back from our life and see it whole, if we hope to make unexpected connections and to experience the lightning bolt of inspiration. Silence and solitude help us to stay centered so that we, when we come to those big events in our lives or must make difficult decisions, we do so from a place of being grounded in our own call and our life's purpose. Our core values, the deepest part of who we are, require silence and solitude. If we crowd our lives and all of its margins with sound and activity, we are unable to hear God and discern where he's calling us. The ultimate test of the value of solitude and silence is if they empower us to love others. If we've truly been with God and his love is purifying us and transforming us and putting us at peace, then we will love others better. We'll be able to control our tongues, to control our tempers, to manage our desires and appetites, to have more compassion for others, 
to acknowledge and have space for differing opinions and understandings. And we'll be able to love and accept ourselves more. We'll be kinder and more gracious with our own foibles and weaknesses. And we'll know the assurance that God loves us not one whit less because of them. When we've cultivated the disciplines of silence and solitude, we'll walk through our days with God as our companion, feeling his presence and guidance. Then we'll know that we are never truly alone. Amen.